Chapter Thirty Five of the Snowburner by Henry Oyen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Thirty Five, The Test of the Bottle. Under Reiver's sharp orders, given in a way that would have startled Moyer had he heard, Tilly and Neopa hurriedly packed the dog sledges with their belongings harnessed the dogs, and hooked them to the traces. "'Oh, Snowburner,' said Neopa timidly, "'do we go back to Newa?' "'In good time,' said Reivers. "'For the present you have only to obey my wishes. Get on the first sledge.' With bowed head the girl took the place directed, and Reivers turned to find Tilly smiling craftily at his elbow. "'Snowburner,' she said softly, "'this is the man, Iron Hair, who digs the gold which you want. "'We go to rob him. I understand. "'You play at drinking to fool Iron Hair. "'It is well. Tilly will help the Snowburner. "'We will kill Iron Hair and take his gold. "'Then the Snowburner will come with Tilly to her teepee?' Reivers looked at her, and for the first time he felt a revulsion against the base part he was playing. Would he return with Tilly to her teepee when this affair was over? Would he go on with his old way of living, the base part of him triumphant over the better self? The strange questions rapped like trip-hammers on Reivers' conscience. "'Get on the sledge,' he growled, choked with anger. She did not stir. He struck her cruelly. Tilly smiled. That was like the snow-burner of old, and she waddled to her appointed place without further question. Up the gulch from Rafteries came Moyer quietly leading his dogs, the sledge well loaded with cases of liquor. "'Wilt have a kiss, first of all,' he laughed excitedly, and catching Neopa in his arms, tossed her in the air, kissed her loudly on her averted cheeks, and set her back on the sledge. "'Now, old son, follow and follow quietly. When Ironhair travels, he wants no fifty-mile gang on his trail. Say nothing, but keep me in sight. Hey ya Mush! Mush!' Out of the gully he led the way swiftly and silently to the open country beyond the settlement. There he circled in a confusing way, bearing northward. After an hour he began circling again, doubling on his trail to make it hard for anyone to follow, but finally Reivers knew by the stars that the course lay to the south. Another series of false twists in the trail then Moyer struck out in determined fashion on a straight course, east and a trifle south from Fifty Mile. Reivers, silently guiding his dogs in the tracks made by Moyer, breathed hard as he read the stars. By the pace that Moyer was setting, it seemed certain that he now was making for his camp in a direct line. But if so, if this trail were held, it would take them back toward the Deadlands, straight into the country that was Duncan MacGregor's trapping ground. Could the mine be in that region? 
If so, how could it have escaped the notice of the old trapper? It was well past midnight when Reivers saw the team ahead disappear in a depression in the ground and heard Moyer's voice loudly calling a halt. By the time Reivers came up with his two sledges, Moyer had unhitched his dogs on the flat of a frozen riverbed and was hurriedly dragging a bottle from one of the cases on his sledge. "'Hell's fire, old son. Unhook and camp. The liquor's dying in me, and I had just begun to feel good.' "'I was wondering,' gasped Reivers in assumed exhaustion, "'I was wondering how much farther you were going before you opened a bottle.' "'Have your squaws get out the grub,' ordered Moyer, jamming down the cork. "'And now, you and me, will see who drinks the other off his feet.' For reply, Reivers promptly gulped down a drink that would have strangled most men. "'Good enough,' admitted Moyer. "'Here's better, though.' and he instantly improved on Reivers' record. The first bottle was soon emptied, a quart of raw, fiery hooch, and a second instantly broached. The food was forgotten by Moyer. The women were forgotten. His primitive mind was obsessed with the idea of pouring more burning poison down his throat than this broken-down waster who dared to drink up to him. Bolt upright he sat, laughing and singing, never taking his eyes off Reivers, while drink after drink disappeared down their throats. No movement of Reivers escaped Moyer's vigilant watch for signs of weakness. As Reivers gave no apparent sign of toppling over, he grew enraged. "'Hell's fire! Wilt sit here till daylight, if thou wilt,' he roared. "'Drink on there. Tis thy turn.' Tilly and Neopa got food ready from the grub bag and sat waiting patiently. The dogs ceased moving, bedded down in the snow, and went to sleep, and still the contest went on. Finally Reivers discerned the slight thickening of speech and the glassy stare in his opponent's eyes that he had been waiting for. Then, and not until then, did he begin to betray apparent signs of failing. "'Strong liquor, mister,' he stuttered. "'Awful strong liquor!' Moyer cackled in drunken triumph. "'Tis bear's milk, old son. Tis made for men. Drink, damn ye, drink again!' Reivers drank, drank longer and heavier than he had yet done. "'There, take the mate of that, mister, and you'll know you've been drinking,' he stammered. Moyer's throat by this time had been burned too raw to taste, and his sight was too dulled to measure quantities. He tipped the bottle up and drained it. The dose would have killed a normal man. To Shanty Moyer it brought only an inclination to slumber. His head fell forward on his breast. With a thick-tongued snarl he sat up straight and looked at Reivers. Reivers hiccuped, swayed in his seat, and collapsed with a drunken clatter. Moyer smiled. 
he winked in unobserved triumph. Then the superhuman strength with which he had fought off the effects of the liquor snapped like a broken wire, and he pitched forward on his face into the snow. End of chapter 35 Recording by Roger Moline